Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger. Hello everybody, welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 37, Do Grades Really Work? for March 20th, 2012. Uh, today we're going to be talking about every teacher's favorite subject, uh, standardized testing and scantrons and how we should fix all those things. Uh, I am your host, host John Mikulski, and uh, I guess the host filling in, because we do have a new host that's waiting in the wings, so I'll introduce her first. Uh, Christy is with us. Christy, uh, the second week in a row. Uh, welcome back. I came back. That, that says something. Yeah, it does. I'm not going to say what, but it does <laughs> uh, definitely say something. Uh, also joining us, as always, is Brian Brueger. Brian? I'm just waiting around for a chance to poke the bear. To poke the bear. Well, and speaking of poking the bear, uh, also with us is Mark Cockrell. Mark? So am I the poker or am I the bear? I'm not sure. Uh, you're you're usually, usually the poker, although okay. occasionally we try to get you going, and it doesn't usually work. You know how to deflect pretty well. Yes. Years of being passive-aggressive come in handy. Yes. <laughs> so today is a, kind of a, an interesting day. Um, as we are, are further transitioning into our new host, we decided um, rather than have a, a guest come on and have five of us to be on a struggle uh, over the mic. We would stay with the four of us and do a, a bit of a conversation in an interesting way, uh, from a different perspective. Um, this week we're going to be talking about uh, looking at education from the seat of the student. What do students see and maybe reflections on what we saw when we were kids because you know every good teacher knows that in teacher school they teach you that you should be reflecting a lot on what you do and your practices and those kinds of things. and. Um, sometimes, especially when you're in education for a long time and you're a teacher for a long time, you start to forget what it was like to be a kid. So um, that's kind of going to will be the focus for today. But uh, first, Christy, you're in spring break right now. Yes, I think almost all Texas schools are in spring break. Hallelujah. Yay. So, you know, teachers, we get so excited about spring break. It's that that time to stop and pause and unfortunately get a break before that standardized Pearson stuff happens but anyway so yesterday i had a doctor's appointment today i had an orthodontist appointment yes i wear braces my two-year-old she had a doctor's appointment and i'm sitting there and i'm spring cleaning the house and packing because we're moving in a couple months and i'm just sitting there going when when exactly did i exchange spring break for like hanging out by the pool catching some rain now I'm scheduling doctor's appointments. When, when did I grow up? When did this happen? And it just, I sat there and had a very long conversation with one of the receptionists at one of the doctor's office I was at. When, when did that happen? When does that occur? When you're not, you're not the kid anymore. You're not like down on the Padre Island doing things that you really don't want recorded. And instead you're like, yeah, we, I need to schedule a well child. And while we're here, can we look at this ear infection? When does that happen? When, what causes that? You know, I hit that, that critical point last year. It was actually my last Easter break when I couldn't wait to get home on Easter break so I could repaint the bathroom. That was like <laughs> the highlight of my entire break. And I thought, man, when did I get old? How did that happen? Not get old. You grew up. Big difference. I'm no, 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 no. He didn't grow up. <laughs> he got older. Yeah, I'm totally okay with growing old. I don't want to grow up. No. See, that's the man-woman thing. I will not get old. I will be 29 until the day I die that I can grow up. 
It's okay to grow up. I just won't get old. No, I hang out with 12 year olds all day. I'm, I'm not going to grow up anytime soon. <laughs> you know, at least once a day, one of them will say something that's just totally inappropriate, totally rude. And I got to turn around so they don't see me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a uh, guests over today. We're also on spring break. And uh, as I've mentioned before, one of the things I enjoy doing is, is barbecuing. So I, I smoked many, many pounds of meat and had guests over and, uh, and they're pretty much all in the education field. And um, my youngest child, who is almost three, uh, let out a nice big burp. And the middle school teachers in the room started clapping, going, yeah, good job. It's like, yeah, that's that's what happens when you spend time around middle schoolers. You applaud burps. Oh, yeah. They never stop being funny. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Any bodily noises. Just insert bodily noise here. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. When, when you don't, See, you don't have anything to say, and you, you you're on the spot, just say poop, and you're good. Yes, and you instantly have everyone's attention. It's right. fantastic, and you're funny, <laughs> and you're cool, and they they all they're all right there with you. You have their attention. You don't have to flick the lights like you do that in elementary. You flick the lights, middle school. You just say poop, and you have everybody's attention. That's right. <laughs> I'll, try that. I'll try that tomorrow, Mark. Let me you know how that goes. <laughs> Can you record it? Just because that would be really funny. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could go with your live streaming. You're trying to, to teach people how to live stream on campus. Yep. Yep. That's how I'm going to get their attention on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so, still working. When do y'all have spring break? What's up on uh, your agenda? Well, the way that New York does it, I don't know what it's like in Texas. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, a two week Easter break or spring break then in April. And then they switched things up. So we now have one week in February and one in April. So I already had my first half of the break uh, about a month ago. And then we're off for whatever that week after Easter, or the week before Easter, whatever it is. So I'm back in school now. And actually, I'm getting ready. You, know, you mentioned the, the Texas State exams. We have ours right after our break. So that's kind of looming and trying to get through stuff for that. Here's my question that I always had about that. As a student perspective, and now that I work uh, as an adult, uh, you have all your testing in March, April, but you go to school till June. What's the point? Your test is over. Testing Amen. is education. Therefore, why are we still in school? We well, you know what? It, it, it was worse in New York for a long time because mine, up until just a few years ago, mine was actually in January. So I was testing my kids in eighth grade on their proficiency at eighth grade skills like four months into school. <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so, well, we, As somebody you know, who hated tests and could never get geared up for tests and things like that, I'm with Mark. Hey, you test you know, me, that means I'm done. Yeah. At, at least at least the good news is those state uh, assessments, they don't really count for anything. They're not like important or anything, so it, it doesn't really matter if the kids are ready for them or not, right? <laughs> You know, y'all are, are walking all over the podcast that was supposed to be all in this <laughs> oh, yeah, nice, we're, we're neat order. Christy, you were ushering in spring break, and Brian, you're you're ushering something out. You have a sad goodbye for us? Yes. it's the I, I was going to say the end of an era, but I don't know if 244 years could be considered an era, if you will. So it is a sad goodbye to the print version of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh. Hey, those are the, those are the things you can buy at uh, yard sales, right? And those are the things that hold up the yard sales. Hey, I can go yes. one better. I grew up with the Funkin' Wagnalls. That was what we had in our house. 
Wait, what yeah. were they called? Funk and Wagnall. How is that not the name of a band? Why are you not in the <laughs> Funk and Wagnalls? Oh, that's a good idea. Probably because I would be sued for copyright infringements. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the Britannica announced that they're they're doing away with their print version. Okay, so finally. what does that leave? Britannica online. Google. Yeah, see, see, one would think, except when I was preparing the image for our laptops, guess what I found on the image? Encyclopedia Britannica. And I said, this, this thing is massive. Why, why do you have this on all the student laptops? Well, the librarians want it on there. Okay, schedule me, PD, with every single pro librarian. We're going to discuss this new thing called the internet. <laughs> <laughs> really? So they were putting the entire like three DVD set of Britannica on, on the, every on the student laptop. Yep. Can you imagine the download time, Mark. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm going to be imaging your laptop today. It'll be done in three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why our image are, are 300 gigs. I don't get it. it. It's just it's they've really ballooned up over the last couple of years. Now we know. You say three favorites in Internet Explorer and you're done. <laughs> okay, you, you understand that that's the browser they run too, right? You, you didn't yeah. catch that a little bit. IE6, right? Hey, no, hey no, I'm proud to admit that we have tabbed browsing now at my school. Yay. It took us until this year to have tabs on our Internet Explorer. Yeah, but John has tabs browsing, but he can't get to Google. So what good is a tab if you can't get to more than one site? <laughs> yeah, we're we're recording this. Let's let's move on. <laughs> You're leaving anyway. Tell them they fired you. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> so I did have one little celebration today. I I sat down in the lunchroom, which is kind of a celebration in and of itself. But I sat down with a bunch of middle school teachers, and without you know talking about technology or anything. They were all discussing the iPad project and, and things like that. And collectively, they decided that the problems that they're having with the students and their usage of iPads or what they're doing with them and being unorganized has nothing to do with technology. They just basically said, we need to you know, teach the kids how to use these devices rather than just expect that they'll know how to use them. We need to, you know, set standards across all of the teachers and actually implement those for next year. And I just kind of sat back and said, my work here is done. I quit. <laughs> I don't know what else more I, more I could do. It was just a fabulous um, conversation to, to listen in on. Yeah, when, when, when people are asking for that kind of organization, that's pretty awesome. So it was a re it was really good. So I'm encouraged. I'm like, okay, when can we meet? <laughs> so because it wasn't a technology issue, they wanted to use technology, but they just weren't making it. You know, it's the iPad's fault that my student is allowed to message each other in my classroom. You know, it was just we need to be more organized about how we do this and tell them how to use it. So. I, I win the uh, Good Conversation Award of the Week. <laughs> Pin a rose on your nose. You do win the Good Conversation of the Award. And um, <clears throat> on Twitter this past weekend, a, a mutual friend of mine and some other people was at a conference in, in Florida, <clears throat> at a place in Florida, 
And this person, I'm not going to use the word educator, was on the stage explaining to people how evil social media is, Twitter and Facebook and na-na-na-na-na-na-na, because it's because of them that cyberbullying exists, because that's how word of these issues get around. And if children just didn't have access to those, and if we would power down the schools and quit introducing the evil cyber world into the safe classroom, the world would be a much better place. Oh, my goodness. I agree with that. Cyber bullying would not exist without the cyber space. Yeah, well, that was not her point. It got it got ugly. I was sitting on my couch in Texas, screaming at my comrade who was in the room, going, "Stand up and walk out!" It was fabulous. <laughs> Brian, yeah, do you remember? This- Brian, we had that guest on a, a couple episodes ago. It was Joe Brzez from that that website, yes. Sprigio. And do you remember yes. the the stat he had? It was something crazy where like ninety percent of bullying takes place in the physical school and the only reason, only reason why cyberbullying is getting so much attention is because it's the only set that's like permanent. You can see it. You can kind of track it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yep. and I, I was going to say that I, the scar on my forehead shows me that real bullying does. <laughs> well, and I, I remember saying to him when he gave us that statistic, like that's something that needs to be printed on billboards and needs to be sent out to everybody because it's mm-hmm. such a misconception that, you know, what we're doing right now and Facebook and Twitter and all those things, they're not the culprit. It's just, I think, Mark, you said, like, the kids who cyberbully, they're the dumb ones because they don't realize that that's, it's so easy to get caught doing that. If you really want to look at the good bullies, it's the ones that are beating someone up in the bathroom. Absolutely. In fact, um, just uh, today, I had a student's iPad come back to me and as we usually do. We kind of peruse through it loosely, and um, we found videos on there that um, they weren't racy or anything like that, but they were students actually videoing them, themselves doing things that they shouldn't do in the school. And, you know, in one way, it, it just makes me kind of chuckle and say, they really don't understand, do they? Or, you know, one student will write something to another student, and then he'll delete it, and then they'll be like, well, you know, oh, I'm good, I'm clean. And then the other student comes forward, and here it is. And they're like, well, I deleted that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did, however. But what I like, you know, is when an administration actually comes in and says, you know, it's not the device or the website or the technology that's actually causing the problem. The student is still making a choice to do this or not do this. We didn't take pencils and paper away when people wrote nasty letters, you know, when we were in school. Um, So is it really the technology's fault? I mean, I understand it's the vehicle, but come on. Yeah, then then it's just the medium. Yes. Now, so this isn't the the topic for this show. We're not talking about anti-bullying or anything. But Mark, wasn't there a website that you were just talking about, a really good one to go to that has to do with all all these anti-bullying things? Well, I I heard of one that uh, a friend of mine uh, may have mentioned it once in passing, so I'm not sure if I have (laughs) the address right, but I think it's wearethesolution.net. I heard about that, yeah. Really really motivated, good-looking teacher helps run that site. I don't remember that part, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you might want to check that. It had something to do. It was it was mentioned so quickly and just the one time. 
I really don't remember all that about it, but uh, I, okay. I think you might want to check that one out. We'll have to look at that. All right, some other time. Maybe maybe that could be a, a future episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see if we can get that guy on an interview. He's he's pretty elusive. Yeah, he's hard to hunt down, but. I understand he hobnobs with minor celebrities on a daily basis. <laughs> minor celebrities and Matt Damon. But <laughs> Matt Damon, was it Miss America? Who, who else was on there? Who, who am I forgetting? Oh, wait, not the Wiggles. No, it was the Imagination Loopers. You got it. <laughs> the Doodle Bops. <laughs> I like the Doodle Bops. Back off my Doodle Bops. Is there a purple one? I think there's a purple one, isn't there? <laughs> There was also a purple wiggle. It was Jeff. <laughs> now, he for was, like, he was the drummer. He fell asleep all the time. For 15 seconds, you have exactly 15 seconds, John. Tell us in 15 seconds what this website's about and who's writing it. All right. So the website began. I'm not going to be able to do 15 seconds. Here's the quick. Uh, started beginning of the year, the kids at my school made an anti bullying video and it kind of took off, uh, got a couple thousand hits on YouTube and it turned into a website. So it really is all student-generated content. I help kind of put stuff up, but um, the kids have been doing interviews and, and getting pledged signatures and stuff on there. And it's kind of been a year-long uh, student project of, of my kids. And that, that's awesome. Anytime we turn the creation over to the kids, I mean, you're going to get something much more powerful than even any of us could come up with. You're just, you're getting it from their side, from that perspective. And that's basically what this show is about, is looking at it, through, you know, not rose-colored glasses, but what does it look like from the kids? What does it look like for this? When they ask the why, or maybe they don't ask the why, but you know they're wondering it, how do we answer that? So for, for me, when I was organizing my classroom, I never did rows. I always did triangles or groups or, you know, whatever. I would sit in every single seat because I wanted to see what my kids saw. You know, was another kid in the way? Was there a flag in the way? Could they you know, capitalize on this, that, or the other. And that was, that was important. It, it let me see it from them, but I've broadened that into some of the initiatives that you hear about. Whenever there's a new school launching an, you know, an iPad initiative, or they're going to start doing blogging for the first time, I beg teachers, document it. Keep a journal, keep a journal, keep a journal, keep a journal, document, 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 because you never get to be the novice again. I wish to God somebody would have told me that my first year teaching and I would have had that to go back on because you don't remember those 180 days very well, but that would be so invaluable to me now as a trainer to go, oh, that's what I felt. That's what these first year teachers are feeling. That's what the pre-service teachers are feeling and be able to, to help them out, you know, and you, you never get that back. You can never go back that one time. And I, I just think it's, it would be a great thing if, if more people did, you know, it's, you know, go ahead. Christy, my first year teaching, I took over, it's a long story, but I took over uh, for a teacher and uh, the previous teacher before him had retired and, you know, I inherited all his furniture in the room. And one day I was cleaning out a, a file cabinet and I pulled the drawer out a little bit further than maybe it was supposed to go and it, it tipped out. And there was a bunch of papers that had gotten stuck in like the well of this filing cabinet. And one of them was a, a marble composition notebook. And it was from this teacher I'd never heard of before. And it was dated early seventies, I think. And, uh, 
he for an entire year he had documented his classroom and it wasn't like a reflective journal as more just the logistics of you know what assignments what page numbers and then as the year went on he'd leave little notes about kids you know so and so caused trouble today so and so did this and it was really neat almost a, in, a, in a voyeuristic sense it was neat for me to be able to see what was going on in that room with this particular teacher and what a, a cool idea that is that even if you aren't now you're talking about like the novice first year teacher even if you're 10, 15 years in, to be able to do something like that and then be able to look back on it, what a cool idea and what a, a productive way to, to spend a few minutes at the end of each day. So how would you pass that on to the next teacher then? Here's my journal of what I've done the last year. I think you need to read this. How do you convey the importance? You know, as a, as a first-year teacher, when I was in there, if somebody would have handed me a journal, I would have laughed at them and said, when would I be reading this? Because it was everything in my power just to, you know, keep your head above water. That's true. Now, you know, three or four years in, and I was kind of feeling good about what I was doing and, you know, had some confidence and felt like I could breathe during the course of the day. It might have been a little bit different, but at that point, it's almost too late, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't know that that would be for the first year teacher, but I could imagine a compilation of them that's presented, you know, to pre-service teachers when they're, they're still not quite in the classroom yet, but maybe that final year or that first year when they're co-teaching or however it's set up, it, it just becomes a resource from them. But I'm, I'm so tired of seeing the research by the PhDs <laughs> who have been out of the classroom for 20 years trying to tell these pre-service teachers how to do their job. Sweet Pea, when you were in that classroom, we didn't have typewriters. You have any idea what these teachers are dealing with? Have you been to an ARD meeting? Have you looked at a standardized test? No. No, but their research says, well, you know, research isn't everything. I think it has its place, but it's very annoying for me to see the the PhDs telling these 20-somethings how to run a classroom of five-year-olds or 12-year-olds or even 18-year-olds. Not that I think first-year teachers should teach high school, but that's a different story. But I think it does have its value, but even more than that, it has its value years later, you know, when you're, you're stuck in that place, you've been teaching for five years and it's like, I don't even know what to do anymore. You're just frustrated beyond frustrated. Then you go back and you're like, oh yeah, I remember now. I remember how I overcame this. And even if it does nothing more than to serve the purpose of yourself, I think there's a, there's a lot of value in it. You know, going back to the idea of documenting, you don't have to have that journal that you tuck away someplace. Uh, I started a couple years ago, really, I didn't mean it for it to happen this way, but I started a blog, just really something for me to toss my stuff up almost as an archival uh, piece. And it really has turned into almost a living resume. That's kind of what I think of it. You know, anything that I've done in the last three years or so is on there and I, I'm proud of that stuff and it, it works great for reflection. It works great for that archival piece. It works great for sharing. But if I ever need another job or if I'm ever going to change careers or change, you know, move up the ladder, whatever the case may be, I'm putting that website address, that blog address on my resume. Like that shows who you are as a teacher. So there definitely is something to be said about, you know, always keeping that reflection. Yeah, I think it, it, to me, I, I want everyone to do it. When I give a teacher or something new, document it. Let me, let me know what you're feeling, what, what's going on. And if we could get kids to give that to us on a more regular basis, 
we would get somewhere. But unfortunately, the education system, for at least the public school education system that we're forced to work within, it all comes back. If I say, little Johnny, I need you to write in this journal once a week all year long, what's the first thing little Johnny's going to say? Well, how long does it have to be? <laughs> and then he's going to say, <laughs> why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do right. it? What part of my grade is this worth? <clears throat> and then it just really bothers me that we've come to that. I, I worked in a private school for a year where we didn't have grades and we didn't group children by Difference. their date of manufacture. It was all ability based. You know, you, you and you get together. I don't care that you're 10 and you're 15 and you're 12. Let's get together because you're on the same level for math. And that'll change up when we're doing something that's more science-based or, you know, we're PBL, so you're the recorder and you're the photographer. And we didn't even tell them that. They came to us with, oh, this is where my strength is. It's not to say they didn't have to know how to do other stuff, but they knew their own strengths. I find myself in a high school classroom sometimes and I'm like, all right, well, what are you good at? I don't know. Just tell me what to do. What? What, what do you mean you don't know what you're good at? Well, Why have we taken that? That's what we've made them good at is following orders. Through years of, of industrialized uh, processes in the education system, we've made them good at following orders. Exactly. And it all comes down to an arbitrary number. I, I'm, I'm really struggling in a class I'm in right now. There's a, a grad assistant who's grading the papers. And we're designing a, an online course. Of course, I did an online professional development thing. And she says, well, where's your rubric for grades? There are no grades. What do you mean there's no grades? There's no grades. They're going to do this to excel, to exceed, to get better at something. Well, how will they know? Because they're going to reflect back on their own work. Well, what are you going to do? There's no grades. That's okay. It's okay to not have this, this number, this number and point system drives me insane. I don't, I don't understand why we've come down to giving a child a number. Aren't they worth more than that? But you know, I have, how, I have to interject. Go ahead, Brian. I, I was just going to ask how on earth then as a politician, as somebody in charge of the school, how is it that I'm going to determine, I'm going to show my constituents, how am I going to show my parents, how am I going to show the world what we're doing and how we're progressing as a school and how am I going to prove that we're doing our job if I have no measuring stick that we call grades? Because the children measure themselves. The students have learned. We do a handwriting sample in kindergarten in September, and we compare that to a handwriting sample that we've done in May. It's called a portfolio. And you see the progression. You see what they've done. How do I know my doctor is good? Well, because Susan and Betty and John told me that they went to him and he fixed their problem. That, oh, well, that makes him good. That gives him value. So what you're saying is the principal or, you know, superintendent when somebody asks them to justify their position, he's going to produce a stack of papers and documents. Am I supposed to bring that in and prove to you by showing you, you know, here's exhibit A and exhibit B, and you've obviously seen the progress, and do that times a couple thousand students? Or is it better for me to say that this school earned grade C during this year and now the school has moved up to a B or an A and use that as a measuring stick um, kind of summarizing what's going on. Well, Mark Twain's often attributed to it and he's not the one that said it, but the saying goes, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. 
And a grade is honestly nothing more than a compilation of numbers that have been pushed together and then regurgitated back and twisted however you want. Oh, so your grades aren't good? Well, we'll just take out all the low performing kids and we'll call them special needs and we won't do them. Or we'll just test these kids or we'll send those kids home or, oh, we lost those tests. So it, it's not the pure system that it's made to be by any stretch of the imagination. We're not, we're not corporate America. We don't produce widgets. But we're also not producing highly capable students that are graduating the 12th grade anymore. So what, when you say, what's your proof that you're doing your job? I have productive people leaving my school. That's my proof. These are people's lives. They're not a widget. I'm not going to make them more shiny. I'm not going to cut them better. They're, they're lives and they're more productive now and they've learned and they've given back to the community. That's how I prove what this is. It doesn't fit on a piece of paper. But let's, okay, let's be honest here because we're not talking about one student. One student, sure, you keep your portfolio. You might even be able to do it for 30 students or 100 students. But if you're looking countrywide, you have to be honest and say there has to be easily quantifiable numbers. It's not right. Like what we're doing right now, it's broken. But to throw out grades entirely, that's going to break too. Because let's be honest, like why is it that I was here on time tonight? Because at some point I learned that you have responsibilities and you have to follow through with them. So very much, you know, Mark, you said earlier, you know, kids like learning to follow the rules and, and go through the, you know, the, the motions. That's an important skill to learn. You learn that in school and you learn that if you don't do your homework at night, this is what happens. And whether you agree that giving out a grade should be that consequence, you have to teach kids how to play the game. Like you do. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Like the reason why I get up every morning, I'm tired. I don't want to get up. But the reason why I get up every morning is that I learned long ago, there's a consequence when you don't do what you're supposed to do. So I don't think like completely throwing the idea of a grade or some kind of, uh, you know, thing that you hold over their heads, you have to have that or else you now have kids who, sure, maybe they're learning at their own pace and maybe they're, um, they're doing things that interest them, but they're not learning how to be productive members, responsible members of society. So what do we do that's better than saying, okay, this is, this is going to give you an A and this is going to give you a B and this is going to give you a C and okay, well, all I really care to get is a C, so I'm just going to do this or they've screwed up enough or messed up enough or had a family emergency to where there's no way they can make an A now at all. So I'm gonna give the minimum effort to just get a B or the minimum effort to only pass. Then you're playing the system. I mean, in casinos, we throw them out. We call that counting cards. You're totally playing the system. What do, what do we but, do in education? That's but a good in the point. workplace, well, we reward that. You know, the other piece though, <laughs> think again efficiency. about- Think about again, the logistics though. Again, we're talking a whole bunch of people and if you look at at the, the macro level, you know, think about your school district and you have a small percentage of kids who have been classified as special education or special needs and they have their IEPs and, and uh, their, their own personal plans. And that's essentially what you're talking about is taking school to a model where everyone has that IEP, so to speak, you know, to address their strengths and their weaknesses. Now think about how much money your school district pays for that one special ed kid and think about the meetings and think about... Um, the consultant teaching and all the extra stuff that's built in for that one kid. Special ed is a huge uh, cost on a school. So if you're talking about now taking that basic model and applying it to every single kid in the school, 
we won't have education in America anymore because there won't be any schools that can afford it. So there has to be a middle ground. Again, I'm just, Mark is being quiet today. He's not poking the bear. So I feel like I have to do it a little bit. But what I'm saying, I do believe what we're doing now isn't working. However, I don't know if the drastic, like we're going to turn everything into this Montessori way of, of learning. I don't think that's going to work either. But wasn't the, the race to the top and no child left behind and all those standardized tests, wasn't that going to fix it all? Isn't it all better now because we have this arbitrary number to hand everyone? You know, I could tell you firsthand because New York won the race to the top. And I think we got something like $800,000. My school budget each year is like $36 million. And they gave our entire state $800,000. Thanks a lot. Like, what did I see? I got a new pencil because of that. That's fantastic. Incidentally, a pencil that one of my kids probably stole because they haven't learned that you should bring your own pencil to school every day. Yes, but it was a number two pencil and you can fill in a scantron with it. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, s saying the word scantron reminds me of my first year teaching. And I walked into, um, I, was, I was teaching science and I walked into our department chair's um, little office room or whatever he had off of his desk or off of his classroom and I'm in there and I'm running these scantrons for my freshman class and the scantron just sounds like you know the all the way across and and I'm running these and just one after another and after another and I'm sure the look on my face was just this you know dejected my kids are losers I can't believe this I'm gonna lose my job you know and it's just one after another after another. And then like then there's one that's like, eh, eh, and everything else is, there. yes, you know, you know, one kid made it. And a veteran teacher who was in the office next to me, he kind of leans over and he goes, you want to know the difference between a veteran and a rookie? I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, I can't hear that. You can't hear the, the scantron the, at all? Yeah, he can't hear the scantron. In other words, as he's run into there, he didn't care what those tests said. It was, I mean, there was more to teaching than, you know, what came out on a scantron. And at the time, I'm just thinking, you know, he didn't care at all. And, you know, who cares what they do? Just let them, let them fail type of a thing. But then later on, after getting to know him a little bit more and, and seeing what type of a teacher was, it was more about relationships and stuff like that. But I think we've made people, you know, whether it be students who always expect to have a prize for participation and then teachers who feel like, you know, they have to score well on the test to get paid. You know, I think we're all fighting for the same goal, but that same goal may not be producing great kids. And, but it is about producing great test scores. Let me tell you a quick story about that, about the best teacher I ever had um, was the teacher I made the worst grades in his class. Um, mm -hmm. his, his name is Herb Osmond. Herb, if you're listening, mad props to you, brother. Uh, he was a, a former Air Force drill sergeant and in many ways ran his class like that. Um, I had his class just before lunch. And so at about you know 11.50 or so, People would all start looking up at the clock, like, you know, when is this going to be over? The man would, uh, in the middle of, of the uh, lecture, without, without stopping what he was doing, 
still talking, would walk over, grab the clock off the wall, chuck it across the room. It would fly into a million people. He literally went through like 15 clocks in that class year uh, because his idea was the clock dismisses, uh, doesn't dismiss you. I do. Pay attention to me. And he was one of those guys who was, who was willing to do theatrics, um, and he taught me algebra. I've always been pretty good at, with math. I'm good with numbers. I hate doing it, though. So I, I, I would do, you know, the bare minimum to get by and, and just, you know, if it, if it was fill out, you know, do these things, uh, I would do them. Uh, and I, w- I would, here's what a geek I was. I would calculate the minimum number I would have to answer to get a 70, knowing that I would get them all right. So I would, I would answer that many questions. I would get my C and I would go. And he knew that I was better than that. And he would, he, on more than one uh, case uh, uh, times, he, would, he pulled me out in the hallway and dressed me down in the way the drill sergeant would dress down a private. Uh, he was a little guy. I'm, I'm 6'5", all right? And, and in high school, I was still I was, I was over six foot. And he stands about five and a half feet tall at most. And he would be up, you know, he would get up on his tiptoes and he would be nose to nose with me and he'd be yelling at me saying, you are better than this. You are a better person than your work is showing. And I'm not going to put up with this crap. And you're going to go redo that homework and you're going to do it again and you're going to do it again and you do it again until you, I know that you have done it right. Um, and I made C's and B's in his class because he was so demanding. But I learned more from him than I ever learned from any other teacher in my life. The, the, the scores were irrelevant to him. It was the cl- quality of work that I put out that mattered. But you so, know what? The scores were also irrelevant to, to the country as a whole back then, too. Like, now they, there's so much so, – the, the stakes are so much higher now with those scores than they were back then. And if he was teaching today – he might still, first of all, he'd totally get kicked out of school for dressing Absolutely. down someone. But and in fact, uh, let me let me stop you. He's not teaching today because of that. He was he was fired from the school he worked for. He was fired for the next school he went to because he uh, held students accountable and because their grades were too low. Uh, and because he had high standards, straight A students would make B's in his class and C's in his class because he was so strict. And therefore, he was a bad teacher because he didn't uh, have enough A's, and he was fired for that. Well, and that's that's the the political climate that we teach in now. Everything is our fault. Things fall on our shoulders. So, I mean, it, it kind of brings me to my next question, my next topic, I guess. Like, as we're we're continuing talking about grades, uh, t- let's talk about the dirty secret. I mean, every teacher has the dirty secret, and I'll be the first to admit it. You know, as far as standardized tests go, you know, every teacher is going to tell you in their teacher classes, "Oh, you teach." You teach well, it doesn't matter what the test is, the kids are going to do well. You don't teach to the test, you teach the, the, to the kids, and everything works out. You know what? That's baloney. At the end of the day, if I, my state test is coming up in about a month, I'm going to spend a few days going over the state test. And it's nothing that I'm proud of, but every single teacher does it. It's the dirty secret of education. We're all going to say it's a terrible idea, but you have to. There's such high stakes now. And, and even more so coming now with the new APPRs and the new um, evaluation systems, we have to. What else can we do but beg kids to do well in a test and teach them what the test is, hoping that that raises their points? And you can probably speak to this better than anyone. It was up there in your state that the, the whole thing exploded with the teacher who he taught special needs, and he was a fabulous, amazing teacher. And the media paints him as some, you know, terrible infestation on children who's ruining everything because his test scores were low. How dare you? How dare you take this professional man that is lauded 
for all the wonderful things he's doing and say because his kids didn't bubble in your scantron correctly what is that what does that say that we come down to to four possible answer choices is that what we're about and oh yeah and any teacher knows from year to year you have good groups of kids and bad groups of kids and it just happens it's you know, just the, the mix of the students or you know other factors in the school or whatever the case may be how can you judge somebody on that you know it, it comes down to luck do i have a good group this year or do i have a bad group this year you it, it truly is comparing apples to oranges on a year-to-year -year basis and the, the scary part now with the new teacher evaluations is if you get i think it's two or three um ineffective ratings they fire you so really what it comes down to now is it, it's playing Russian roulette with your career. If you happen to get three bad groups of kids or, you know, three years where there's some factor that weighs against you, you're done. Like that's not the way that it, like, we're professionals. It's a profession. People seem to forget that all the time. We need to be treated as professionals. And of course, we need to be evaluated as professionals. Like I'm not saying that we should get away without doing that. Like I hope that there's things in place to make sure my doctor's not going to kill me the next time I go in for a checkup. But it, I mean, you can't rate a doctor by the number of times that someone gets old and dies. <laughs> That's kind of the same equivalent, <laughs> isn't it? It is. It is the same equivalent. You don't rate the attorney on, you know, what his clients thought about him. And, and that's really what this boils down to. When I go to an attorney, I'm paying him to have my interest at heart. But I don't get a scantron of four possible answers for me to rate him when it's over. The same thing with my doctor. I've been to two different doctors in the last two days. I don't remember filling in a Scantron on how I thought they did their job. You know, right. I trust my doctor and my, my husband didn't say, well, well, how'd it go with the doctor? Did you trust her? No, I love my pediatrician and he respects her decision. I respect her decision. We respect our doctors, but we don't our teachers. We don't no, our my... teachers at all. And we're giving the assessment of teachers to the students and tell me again, in Texas, we have this convoluted thing that just rolled out this year. Up until high school, theoretically, a child could get away with not taking this test. The school district will tell you that that's not possible, our, our state assessment, that the child has to take it, this, that, and the other. My child's going to be sick for that test. I feel it already. I feel her illness coming on. And she will not be there for it because it makes her ill to take them. She just, she's... She's a type A personality. She has to do perfect, and it, it really upsets her. Straight A student, she's gifted and talented. I'm not worried about Pearson making more money on her. But when she gets in high school, she has to take and pass that, that test now that's called end of course that we give in early April or late March. Yeah, in the middle of the school course. doesn't let out till May. So we're giving her this test, and she has to pass it to get a diploma to graduate from a public school. Now, then she has something to do with it. Like, okay, this is part of my grade. It's 15% of my grade. But all the way through elementary, through middle school, when they're challenging those ideas and saying, what does it really matter? There is no value. We're taking children, we're powering them down, we're telling them to sit down, shut up, and not even go to the bathroom like a normal human because you need to grade your teacher. What? What? This doesn't even count for them? And they're grading their teacher? How does that work? Now, come on. That's not... That's like going on the street and saying, that doctor in there, how are they doing? Well, heck if I know, I don't know. That's, that's insane. Totally unprofessional. We get no respect. We're Rodney Dangerfields. We get no respect. No respect. Well, Go ahead. I, I was going to say, in, in the state of Florida, we actually 
do, I mean, those tests do count. Meaning, you know, the test that the students take in third grade, if they don't pass that, they don't move on. And that FCAT test, at, and I don't remember exactly, you know, what grade levels the different or various tests are because I kind of spread them out. But, yeah, they actually will hold the student back and they will not progress them. Um, I mean, I guess in theor- theoretically, you know, indefinitely, you could have an 18-year-old, you know, third grader sitting there saying, I just can't make it past this test. But, and obviously then, you know, I know in the high school level that if you don't pass the FCAT test, which, by the way, is in 10th grade, um, you don't graduate. And I'm thinking, you know, so we're evaluating their their level of, you know, or their status of graduation at 10th grade, not at 11th or 12th grade or anything like that. You know, if it's an exit exam, I guess I could at least understand the rationale slightly. Well, Brian, but, I can um, almost guarantee you the reason for that is because then they have the 11th and 12th grade to retake it. Okay, so again, as a student who is much like you, Mark, and my story about my Algebra 1 teacher is actually much like yours, but different. Because I never did my homework in Algebra 1 because I was just flat out too lazy, and I knew I could get away with not doing it. So he'd come around on a daily basis and ask me to look, you know, where's your homework? And I'd say, right there. And he said, you only did a couple problems. I said, that's what I needed to do. And I would get a failing grade. So go through the class. I passed the class because of test scores and everything. And instead of holding me accountable or trying to um, instill those values in me, my teacher just flat out told me, you should never go to college. Mind you, I minored in physics and passed and made it through just fine and taught physics in high school. And I've always wanted to kind of go back and say, oh, by the way, here you go to that teacher. But at the same time, I don't see any value in it because I don't, you know, what are they going to do differently now? (laughs) But, I mean, so we have those teachers on both sides that one will, will step up and do something and the other one you know, is just playing the system and trying to, you know, I don't know, collect their check, I suppose. Yeah, but you, I mean, you're going to have that in, in any profession. I think that's to an extent, you're regardless of the circumstances, but I mean, we're losing veteran teachers, people who have that experience to give us in our field simply because it's not how it used to be. And what we've taken, what we've stolen from children is the privilege, the opportunity to fail. I mean, to me, that's invaluable. We have to encourage our kids to fail. We say, it's okay, please do, because we're not going to get them to, to try new things, to be creative, to be all those things that the net, say, 21st century students need to be when we're stripping them of it. We're, we're totally taking that from them. And, and that's, that's what I want all of my kids to say is, oh, yeah, she's the one that said, let us fail. Please fail every day, because when you fail, you're going to fix it. and You're going to try to do better. And standardized you know, tests doesn't give that option. But you said, you know, we're robbing them of the opportunity to fail. And that goes back to what I said earlier. They have to learn how to play the game. And they have to learn that sometimes things don't go well and you got to figure your way out of it. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to sink 
you want to sink during middle school. You want to sink during high school because that's really when it doesn't count. That's your practice years. You don't want to screw up and lose your job and become homeless. But here's the, the flip side of that. Schools are purposely pulling kids out of the water so they don't drown because they don't want those graduate graduation rates to be low because then they lose their money. So it, it, it is a, a top-down problem. You know, we understand at the bottom what has to happen, but from the view, the view from the top is much, much different. So really what I'm saying is that the last 40 minutes have been totally useless because the people that really could make a difference don't listen to us. They're not listening to this podcast right now, but I'm sure we have a whole host of teachers who are going, oh, yeah, those four, they know what's going Well, three of the four know what's going on. I won't tell you which one I think is full of it, but... <laughs> I'll raise my hand. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I wanted to just, I want to end this with, with just one uh, one story, and it, I, I'll put it in the show notes. It, it's probably the best story, the best uh, analogy for why teachers really cannot be personally held accountable for their kids. I mean, certainly, like I influence my kids, but at the end of the day, my kids are who walks in my door. And there's a story. It was from Education Week magazine about ten years ago now, but it, it really it comes up. It seems to come up all the time, and they compare um, education and the students in your classroom with a business owner, a guy who owns an ice cream store, and the the conversation kind of goes back and forth. And they ask the, the the guy, you know, what's your ice cream like? And he says, oh, it's nothing but the best, great flavors, great ingredients, whatever. And that the teacher says to him, well, what happens if you get a bad shipment of blueberries for your blueberry ice cream? And he says, well, I send them back. It's nothing but the best for my store, right? You can't do that in education. If I get a bad blueberry in my room, I teach the hell out of that bad blueberry. It's not going to be an A-plus blueberry, but it's going to be a, the best blueberry it can be. And that's the part that I think grading needs to be figured out. We need to figure out how to do that. We need to figure out how to measure that blueberry against himself, not against the whole bunch or whatever you call a whole bunch of blueberries. I don't know what's that called. A pack. Amen, brother. Preach on. <laughs> I, I was on a roll until that end. I always I yeah, always seem to yeah. derail at the end of my big rants there. I don't know. I'd have to figure out how blueberries are grown, and I'm not sure about that either. Are they like cranberries? Are they in a bog? Okay, I'm seriously not going to allow this conversation to continue. So uh, this is the part where we get to where we talk about how you can contact us. And, and Brian, that's your specialty. Please go. Oh, we mean we're just going to leave it there and then let them write in and tell us how we're so wrong or how we're right and we can be elected to these high-powered uh, public official places? That's the point I of having I always wanted to swim in cranberries. Right? I just want to throw that out there. Swim in the fog. <laughs> John sees an ocean spray commercial and he's envious. <laughs> my wife and I, seriously, my wife and I will watch TV and they have those ones where it's the two guys and the hip waiters like standing in the cranberries. And my wife always says, that'd be fun to swim in. You know, she's right. That would be pretty cool. All right. If, if you really want to get us to, to stop talking, then you need to give us some feedback. You need to tell us what you'd like to hear. So you can do that a few ways. Uh, elementop.com slash tightwadteacher is always a good way to get a hold of us. Also, you can connect, contact with uh, get in contact with us via Twitter um, at John Mikulski. At Brugger, at Christy v underscore Vincent. And of course, if you would um, like to poke the bear, you can get in touch with Mark at Mark Cockrell. Um, of course, Facebook.com slash Element OP. 
and via phone 559-IAMOB. I'd just like to say I'm not entirely comfortable with the reputation that I'm developing on this show. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm the instigator idiot uh, who who uh, can be uh, poked into rage. I, I'm not exactly sure how that came to be, but that's the picture being painted of me in recent uh, you days. You know what? Coming from the guy who everyone assumes walks around with an accordion, I don't. I I feel no pity <laughs> on you, none at all. Uh, to be honest, I haven't touched that thing probably since summer. It's been in the basement, but it comes up constantly on this show. So, no, I I I think your persona is is fine. If I'm going to be the accordion guy, I was supposed to just be the producer. All I do is mix things, and you guys talk, and then you bring me, you ask me questions, and when I answer, you ridicule me. Uh, I'm not sure wh- where did I sign up for this. Wait a minute, I, this is you, my this is my company for crying out loud. You all work for me. What, what am I doing here? Hey, it's payback. Don't think I I missed that one that one dig on Tightwad uh, Tech. I think you referred to me as um as Ducky from Sixteen Candles. I remember that. Yeah, I hold Mark. I hold grudges. Oh, I don't remember that, but I don't disagree with that either. <laughs> Hey, Christy, what are we going to talk about next week? That is um, a very interesting question, Mark. <laughs> next week, the idea is that we're going to finally get into some um, some PD, a little, a little less of the teachers deeply discussing with great interest and intent the, the constraints and phenomenalness of our jobs, not any other construed meaning that any particular person could have of the the lovely dialogue we've had the last 45 minutes. But some, we're going to bring in so, a couple of people that can, can give us a little PD without visuals. What does that look like? And how do we encourage the teachers to make it these last couple of months before summer vacation? Awesome. Good. All right. Well, this is, I guess, a, a good time to end for tonight. Um, so, this, I guess for now, will be John saying, uh, I'll leave you with these words of wisdom. I would swim with cranberries. I would not swim with blueberries. It's very, very nice. And this is Brian saying, we are the doodle bops. Christy, this is where you come up with your big sign off moment. You've been preparing this, I'm sure. Right? And it will always be awkward, no matter how much you plan for it. I've just given in and just make it as awkward as possible. That, that's just fabulous because I was having something inspiring like always encourage your students to fail and then I jumped in with I swim with fruit <laughs> <laughs> and this is Mark the idiot instigator saying goodbye <laughs>